Hello, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler, and we'll be doing our second part on the on Parshat Bo, our second shiur on Parshat Bo. Uh, today we're going to be beginning with the plague of darkness, uh, the plague of Choshech. This is the second of the final three plagues that we find in Parshat Bo, which we mentioned with regard to these three plagues, that they are not primarily punishment for the Egyptians. They're not primarily backward-looking plagues but they seem to be primarily directed towards Bnei Israel. We saw in our last class that Parshat Bo actually opens with a clause in which uh, God says to Moshe, this is in order so that you should tell your, your children and the children of your children that which I have done in Egypt. These plagues seem to have an educational idea. It's taking us forward toward the redemption, and we'll be talking about the plague of darkness within that context as well. Uh, certainly here we have a sense that in all three of these final plagues, the uh, the land of Egypt and the Egypt Egyptians themselves are plunged into darkness. Um, this is certainly part of the, the the symbolic idea of Am Yisrael leaving Egypt. They leave Egypt plunged in darkness, and these three plagues also seem to represent the end of Egyptian culture. Uh, Arbe, the plague of locusts represents the end of the food supply. Choshech leaves them in darkness. And Makat Bechorot, the plague of the firstborn, begins to cut off, begins to pick off their firstborn one by one. Um, it, to some degree also, these three plagues represent the death blow to the three great Egyptian sources of their belief, of their greatness. We have the destruction of their crops and their prosperity, their food supply. We have the destruction of Ra, who is the uh, great god in the pantheon of gods, the sun god. And we have the destruction of Paro, who is certainly a mythological figure or a central figure in Egyptian culture. And so these three plagues really leave Egypt plunged in darkness, not just literally, but also metaphorically. Um, the Plague of Darkness also is the third of the three-part series that we've been talking about, Ditzach Adash Be'achav, um, in which we, Rabbi Yehuda divides the ten plagues into three-part series of three, three series of three plagues. Um, we've known, and of course, Makat Becharot, the plague of the firstborn, uh, represents some sort of climactic plague, which is separated from these groupings. We've noted that the first of each plague shares certain features, such as um, uh, Moshe meeting Paro next to the water in the morning, uh, with of course, one exception, and that is the plague of hail. Um, there is no indication of where, in fact, uh, Moshe meets Paro. Um, and we talked a little bit about that. In the second plague, we said each of them begin with this notion of Bo El Paro, come into Paro. And the third plague of each series, we're talking about Kinim, we're talking about Shechin, and we're talking about darkness, Choshech, we're talking about the lice, the boils, and the darkness also share certain features, one of which is that they each arrive without a warning, right? They're much shorter plagues because they arrive without a warning. This is going to be true about Choshech, about darkness as well. We've also noted that they seem to uh, affect the, the Egyptians' bodies. We had 
both in the plague of lice and in the plague of boils, that it came al ha'adam ve'al ha'beima. It was on the individual, on the body of the person. Um, and again, the plagues did seem to come upon the individual. We're going to feel something similar with regard to darkness and, and, and also perhaps discuss a little bit why, in fact, this, these three plagues come without a warning. Right? Some of the mefarshim do try to, to, to answer this question as to why they come without a warning. They offer all sorts of uh, different explanations. The Ramban, for example, suggests that these three plagues are not life-threatening, and the only plagues that, in fact, come with a warning are life-threatening ones. This, one, this answer, I think, is a little bit difficult to sustain, if only because, I mean, it's a bit difficult to understand how frogs could be life-threatening, unless, again, we're talking about crocodiles, and there's all sorts of, of ways to go with this. I'm going to try to answer that as we progress through this plague, why all three of these plagues come without a warning. Uh, the third point, though, that I want to make as an introduction to the darkness plague is the fact that this is the penultimate plague. This is the plague that precedes Makat Bicharot, um, and we have this sense almost that uh, this is the darkness before the dawn, to use an expression, right? If uh, if if the makat bechorot represents the beginning of uh, the geulah, the redemption, we have this plague of darkness, which is a precursor to the light, to the full, brilliant, powerful, glorious light of redemption, in which God is going to uh, is going to um, uh, make himself known to the world in his full glory, and also take Am Yisrael out of darkness into redemption. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why we have this plague as the plague that precedes Makat Bechorot. All right, let's look in Perak Yud, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Vayomer Adonai El Moshe, Nitei Yadecha Al Hashamayim, Vihi Choshech Al Eretz Mitzrayim, Vyamesh Choshech. And God said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand over the heavens and let there be darkness over the land of Egypt and the darkness will be felt. The darkness will be felt. There's a sense again of this sort of constrictive kind of darkness. Uh, what is striking about this verse, and we've had God saying to Moshe before, stretch out your hand over the heavens, both in the plague of Barad, in the plague of Hail, and in the plague of Arbet, in the plague of locusts, in the previous two plagues, we had a very similar phrase. Although specifically in the plague of locusts, where he's told, al stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, whereas in Barad, he was told, stretch out your hand over the heavens. Both the plague of hail and the plague of darkness seems to demonstrate God's control over the heavens, specifically, because both, both of these plagues seem to emanate from the heavens. But perhaps what's more interesting about this plague is if you look at the words vihi choshech, right? It somewhat reminds us of creation, yihi or, right? When God said, let there be light. Here we have the reversal of creation. And this may be a point that we've raised in previous shiurim, the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and particularly the story of the destruction and the plagues that, that undo Mitzrayim seems to involve a deliberate inversion of cosmology, of the creation of the world. What we have here is the undoing of creation. God musters up all of his uh, power in order to uncreate Egypt. 
uh, some of the literary allusions that we see throughout the plague narrative that reminds us of the Reishit Perak Aleph of that first chapter of creation. We have Behima, we have Adam, we have Afar, we have Adama, we have Sharats, we have Eretz, we have Dag, we have uh, Tanin, we have the Mikveh Maim, right? All of these words, I'm not necessarily going to translate these words, but they all allude back to creation. And we have this sense that um, just as we had in the Mabel story, in the flood story, we have we have this sense that the world was being uncreated in order to show that they have not lived up to the ideals of creation. And in order to recreate the world, God uncreates the previous world. That's what we have here as well. And that's one of the reasons that the story opens with Uvne Israel Paru Vayishritsu Vayirbu Vayatsmu Bimaod Meod Am Israel multiplied and they swarmed and they and they became many and they became very, very strong, which is a creation illusion. So we have this idea that we are uncreating Egypt for the purpose of setting in motion a new kind of purpose for the world, one in which Am Yisrael is going to take a leading role. It doesn't surprise us within this context that the final plague before the plague that really uh, brings about the redemption is a plague that leaves Egypt in this state of almost primordial chaos, this state of darkness as light is taken away from them. Uh, so that's, I think, certainly one idea that, that we've seen or that we've encountered throughout the plague narrative, even if I haven't commented on it. Look in Pasuk Yud, Kaf Bet, Vayet Moshe et Yado al Hashamayim, Vayhi Choshech Afela, Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim, Shloshet Yamim. Moshe stretched out his hands over the heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all of the land of Egypt for three days, right? This thick darkness, which we were told can actually be felt. It seems to be a constricting darkness. It causes the Egyptians uh, to be almost immobilized. We'll see in a moment. This is uh, the first time where when God tells Moshe to stretch out his hands over the heavens, Moshe actually stretches out his hands. We saw previously that it, when God told him to stretch out his hand, he in fact stretched out his mate, his staff. And we even noted that there seems to be some sort of blurring between Moshe's hand and Moshe's staff. Well, in this case, Moshe seems to actually stretch out his hand, perhaps it suggests that Moshe's uh, personal um, uh, power is increasing, that he doesn't use a substitute, but he actually uses his own hand. Hand in Tanakh is often some sort of a symbol of a person's power. Perhaps this suggests that Moshe is increasing in his own personal experience of holiness and of, um, of, of strength, of representing God as we progress through this, through this um, story of the Makot. So we have this thick darkness all over Egypt for three days. The three days is an important piece of information in as much as darkness isn't in itself an unusual event. Of course, darkness falls every night. So what is actually miraculous or what actually makes this a plague is the duration of the plague, in addition perhaps to the constricting nature of the darkness, but the fact that it's for three days, that makes it unnatural, that makes it a plague that is issued by God. Um, if you look at the next pasuk, pasuk of Gimel, lo ra'u ish et achiv, velo kamu ish mitachtav shloshet yamim, u l'chol b'nei Yisrael 
היה אור במושבותם. A person did not see his brother and no one could get up from his place for three days. And all of B'nai Yisrael had light in their dwelling places. So first of all, again, we have here this idea of three days. Actually, an interesting midrash um, sees this as two different three-day periods. They say, well, for the first three days, it was this kind of darkness. And then there was a second three days where there was that kind of darkness. I don't think that that's the simple meaning of the, the text itself. I think it's one three-day period, but the advantage of that midrash is that it harks back once again to the creation story. We have three days plus three days, and then on the seventh day, there is redemption, right? So there's something perhaps somewhat um, uh, symbolic about the Midrashic reading here. In any case, what we actually have here in the simple meaning of verse 20, 23 is that um, no person could see their friend. This plague actually divests the Egyptians of their societal interactions, but also of any sort of healthy societal interrelationships. A person who cannot see his neighbor is incapable of good relationships. There's almost a sense that uh, here the plagues are meant to not just to, to thrust Egypt into chaos, but to thrust them into this sort of social collapse um, when, when people here cannot see and therefore cannot um, feel united to their, to their uh, fellow person. But at the same time, I think we have the sense of People being treated here as individuals, each one experiences the plague, not as a collective, but as an individual. This, again, reminds us of the third plague of each series of lice, of boils. No one could get up from his place for three days. Note here that there is a midah, keneged midah, a measure-for-measure measure punishment here. The Egyptians here are being almost imprisoned or restricted from movement for three days, just as Paro did not allow Am Yisrael to make their three-day journey and restricted their movement, so too here we have the Egyptians being restricted in terms of their movement for three days. And both in each of these uh, three plagues, which are the last in the series, we are told that each individual is limited in terms of his ability to function freely. Here we're told, lo ra'u, lo kamu, they did not see, they could not get up. In the in the plagues of lice and boils, we were told, lo yachlu, velo yacholu, they could not. There was something that was preventing the individual from functioning. Um, the idea, I think, of each of these plagues, which might actually explain why these final three plagues come without a warning, is that each of these three plagues which come upon the body of the individual have some sort of intimation of the experience of death, right? So we have here darkness, where they exist in darkness without being able to move for, for, for during the duration of this plague. The lice, the boils, represents somehow the decomposition of the body. This is perhaps a little gruesome, but the um, the maggots that that um, that consume the flesh of the bodies. I apologize for the gruesomeness of that description. But that is, I think, to some degree, what is being experienced here. And I think that there's something extremely significant about this, given that the Egyptian culture was so deeply invested in overcoming death. 
in um in in pretending to themselves or assuming that they have already um, achieved some measure of immortality of eternal life, th these three plagues seem to come to tell them to tell the Egyptians absolutely not. It is only God who controls death and here <clears throat> experience this kind of experience of death which comes upon you suddenly without a warning. These three um, uh, plagues, lice, boils, and darkness, I believe, come upon the Egyptians without a warning in order to prepare them that that's the way that death will come. The only way to achieve immortality, to achieve eternal life, is by cleaving to God who is eternal. And you who cleave to God, your God, you shall live today. That kind of, of, of eternal life is the only one that is truly eternal. And the Egyptians who believe that they have achieved some sort of eternality are here being given a message that, in fact, they have not. Let's uh, uh, discuss for a moment this final phrase. It's a very significant pasuk. And all of B'nai Israel, all of the children of Israel, had light in their dwelling places. Once again, I think we see that these final three plagues, the ones that appear in Parshat Bo, focus on Yisrael. We are interested in what's happening with Yisrael. In fact, the Midrashim are very sensitive to this phrase. And many of the Midrashim, when asked, what is the purpose of the darkness, actually do something different than when they ask the same question about earlier plagues. Here they say the purpose of the darkness is not necessarily to give a lesson to the Egyptians, but rather either to give Am Yisrael the opportunity to take uh, spoils from the Egyptians, uh, which is, of course, their well-earned wages, or perhaps, here's another Midrash, the purpose of darkness is so that God can kill those uh, Jews, those people of B'nai Israel who are unworthy of being liberated. God did not want to do this when the Egyptians were able to see it because, of course, they could draw the wrong conclusion and think that, in fact, these plagues are not discriminating between Egyptian and Jew. They're simply random events that have taken place and that are are um, uh, are suffered. Everybody equally suffers in the kingdom. In any case, what I think these midrashim are 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 showing us is that this particular plague is focused not primarily on punishing Egyptians, but primarily on giving Am Yisrael the tools to understand what their freedom is about, what it means to take them out of Egypt. It's about Am Yisrael moving towards light towards freedom, towards redemption, towards ge'ulah. Light in Tanakh is God. Hashem ori v'yishi. God is my light and my salvation. Light is justice, truth, God's truth. The idea is that Am Yisrael should recognize that Egypt is being plunged into darkness so that they should move towards light, towards a, a creating a nation of morality of justice, one in which they are walking in God's light. That idea, I think, is 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 very much part of this plague. Okay, let's look in Pasuk Kavdalid. Vaikra Faro El Moshe, Paro called to Moshe, Vayomer Lechu, Ivdu et Adonai, 
רק צונכם ובקרכם יוצג, גם טפכם ילך עמכם. פרוסס משה וניסד, go, worship God, just your flocks and your herds shall remain, but also your children shall go with you. So note here several things. First of all, note that uh, Paro actually never asks Moshe to remove the darkness. It's, uh, first of all, perhaps its duration is fixed. It is a three-day period. Its point is not to punish. It's not even necessarily to get Paro to make a concession. Rather, as I said, its point seems to be to uh, offer an idea, a lesson to Am Yisrael. Um, and, and yet, at the same time, what we see here is that Paro seems ready to make a major concession He certainly reverses his previous position. He's ready to let the children go and the women go, but not the animals. And again, this does seem designed to remind everyone who is really in charge, perhaps also to ensure that they return. Paro will let them go, but not without certain conditions that Paro places upon them. Uh, again, I think that the sense here is that Paro wants to position himself as the actual authority over Israel. And therefore, even if he's willing to concede to some degree, he wants to have the final say in terms of the conditions of their journey. And this is not going to be enough for Moshe. Paro must cede all control over Israel to God. God is the only one who is the rightful authority who can determine what Am Yisrael does. So this is, I think, um, Moshe's, Moshe's response here in Pasuk Kafei Vayomer, Moshe, Gamata titen biyadeinu zvachim ve'olot, va'asinu la'adonai Elohim, ve'gam mikneinu yelechimanu, lo tisha'er parsa, ki mimenu nikach la'avod et Adonai Eloheinu, va'anachnu lo neidama na'avod et Adonai ad bo'einu shama. And Moshe's response is very unequivocal, as we saw in the previous plague as well. And Moshe says, you will also give into our hands sacrifices and burnt offerings. Zvachim and Olot, it says here. Um, and, I, and we will make them for God. We will use them to serve God. And also our cattle shall go with us. Not even one hoof will remain. For from them we will take to serve God. And we don't know what we will need to serve God until we arrive there. Again, I think Moshe's um, uh, uh, position here is that he is unbending. Paro shall have no victory whatsoever. There's no possibility of any kind of concession that's being made here. I think that this really also characterizes the three plagues of Parashat Bo. We saw this with the locusts. We see it now with the darkness. I think we'll see it certainly with the final moments of the plague of the firstborn. Moshe is in a different position. He's not looking uh, primarily at his relationships with the Egyptians. He is right now teaching Am Yisrael. And he's teaching Am Yisrael that there is no, there's no equality. There's no similarity. There's no way uh, to, to put... Paro and God in any sort of similar kind of sphere. Uh, only God is the authority and not Paro, and therefore no concession is possible. He says, not even a hoof will be left here. He makes it really, I think, very unequivocal, and there seems to be uh, no way for Paro to save face and get out of this. Okay, so let's look at our next pasuk. Adonai et lev Paro. 
velo ava lishalacham. It sounds here from this pasuk that Paro may have been willing to concede in any case, but God hardens Paro's heart and he does not want to send them. Right, so this is, I think, a very strong pasuk. And Paro said to him, be gone from me. Be careful. Watch yourself. Do not continue to see my face. For the day that you will see my face, you will die. And I think on one level, Paro's reaction makes sense in light of what we've said so far. Moshe's unbending demand that Paro cede all manner of control over Am Yisrael goes against the very core of his being, the very manner in which he views himself, in which he views his role in the world. And I think one of the ways in which this pasuk conveys that is uh, by using the words re'ot panai, right, which is, of course, um, an ironic reference to the way in which uh, we are, are later on going to see the idea of seeing God's face, right? We see something similar in Shmot Lamed Gimel, where God says to Moshe, Lo et panai, ki lo ha'adam v'chai. That was in Pasuk Kaf. And God says to Moshe, when Moshe is on Har Sinai, you cannot see my face, for no man, no human can see my face and live. Right, so here there's something, I think, somewhat similar about the way in which Paro represents himself, almost as though he is uh, comparing himself to God. He certainly, as we know from ancient Egypt, the Paros did in fact self-deify. They did in fact represent themselves as deities to, to their people. And so perhaps this is giving us an insight into what it is that prevents Paro from making this full concession of his power over Bnei Israel to God. Um, and here, of course, he tells Moshe, you will not see me again and live. If you see me again, you will die. And Moshe doesn't seem to be afraid or upset by Paro's rather angry dismissal. Vayomer Moshe, ken dibarta lo osif od reot panecha. Moshe says, you have spoken well. I shall not continue to see your face. The exegetical question that is that arises here with regard to the fact that, in fact, Paro and Moshe do, in fact, meet again in Makat Becharot, when Paro calls to Moshe and to Aaron, has been treated differently by different biblical interpreters. The Ramban, for example, says that there in Parak Yudbet, when Paro does call to Moshe and to Aaron, he, in fact, doesn't actually see them. He's just sort of screaming into the darkness, but he actually does not uh, have an audience with them. Uh, the Barbanel understands it a little bit differently. He says, well, you know, I will not have an official formal audience with you again. In any case, I don't know if this really represents a difficulty. Moshe simply says, I won't come see you. I'm not interested in pursuing any sort of relationship with you. Instead of looking for you, I'm now looking for a relationship with God. Everything that Moshe is saying in this parasha is very much geared towards educating Am Yisrael. Moshe's comportment, his dignity, his refusal to concede, this is all characteristic of Parashat Bo, of our ability to begin to put Egypt in the background as we move forward from this period to the next period. As Egypt is plunged into darkness, we're going to see 
that Avi Israel is going to begin to see the light at the end of the, the tunnel um, and to leave Egypt. In this final plague, Paro's anger is met by Moshe's, um, uh, Moshe's intransigence, and they're at an impasse. And what we're going to see, beginning in Pasuk Yud Aleph, is that God is going to enter and issue the instructions for the final plague. And that's what we'll begin with, the beginning of Parak Yud Aleph, in our next shiur.